Well, like Jacob said, my name is Ben Biles. I'm the college pastor here at Southwood. Joy to be with you guys during spring break. I see we got some faithful people here, and I'm excited for us. Uh, For the last few weeks, we've been in the book of James, which is a very challenging book to read through because Uh, It seems like James is like mad at you the whole time. He's like commanding you, he's calling you names. Uh, And essentially the challenge throughout that book is to put your faith in action, to not be hypocritical with what you say you are, but actually do what you uh, talk about, to walk it like you talk it, right? To actually be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And that has been challenging, but today we're gonna switch directions a little bit and we're gonna be in Philippians chapter three as the Apostle Paul writes to the believers in the city of Philippi. And he's going to encourage them and really command them, if we're being honest, to place their joy in the Lord. And that is a command we see several times throughout the book of Philippians. And his main encouragement is gonna be, this is based on their identity in who God is. That he's encouraging them, rejoice in the Lord because of who you are in God. And that in this relationship, you can feel and see and experience his grace and his love. And through that, you will feel that joy that is eternal. Now, if you asked anybody on the street, if you're just walking around asking people questions on the street, which I don't know if you do that or not, but um, someone does out there, and they, they pulled a bunch of people, and they said, if you could have one thing more of in life, what would it be? If you, if you could just have one wish come true, like what would you want more of if you could just have one thing? And people gave your your pretty average answers, you know, I wish I had more money, or I wish I had more, you know, comfort, or I wish I had more friends, the sad people, you know, they uh, wish I had someone to love. But time and time again, the answer that always comes to the top and is the most common and really can encapsulate all of these things is I wish I was more happy. If I could have one more thing in life, the one thing I feel like I am lacking the most or I'm not getting enough of is happiness. Now, if you ask those same people, well, how do you get happiness? How do you find that? Well, they would probably say, I don't know. That's what I'm looking for. That's why I'm pursuing it because I don't know how to do it. And what's sad is that in our culture and our day and age and really for the history of humanity, the one thing that we feel like we are looking for over and over again, this sense of happiness also becomes one of the hardest things to find and really to find over and over and over and over again in a way that's fulfilling. And so I went to Google and Google searched, what's, you know, how do you, what's the secret to happiness? You know, because if Google doesn't have it, nobody else would. So I found a few quotes, um, a little, uh, most of them are, are not satisfying, but here is, here's some wisdom from a simple Google search. Uh, one person said, the secret to happiness is not doing what one likes, but liking what one does. Yeah, uh-huh, weird. So uh, another one said, the secret to happiness is letting every situation be what it is, which I feel like is the, really like the nonchalant effort at happiness. And, and it's really not an encouraging one. Like if you're having some real problems in life and you're going to a counselor and they're like, hey, just let it be what it is, right? Why you, stop complaining about that, you know? It's not satisfying at all. Uh, a Greek philosopher said that secret to happiness is freedom and the secret to freedom is courage. And that for me was 
too vague, right? It's so vague. Okay, well, we got, we got freedom. We're in the United States, right? We got, we're in a free country. We got that. Uh, but what about that courage part, right? What is, how do I find that? How do I build that in my life? What am I being courageous toward? Uh, it's confusing, right? I don't know how that's helpful for us. But one guy, Dale Carnegie, he says, uh, remember, happiness doesn't depend on who you are or what you have. It depends solely on what you think. All right, and so his idea is you're training your mind to focus on things that make you happy. But my rebuttal is it's really hard not to think about who you are and what you have, which is what he said, don't think about. And it becomes difficult. Once again, in all of these, you get these vague, kind of not really good answers to the question of how do I find happiness in life? And so when, as believers, as we turn to the word of God and we ask ourselves the same question, we are uh, thankfully engaged with this discussion in the book of Philippians as Paul, once again, is writing to these believers, explaining to them how to find their joy in their identity as believers, right? Because it's so easy to try to find our purpose and our identity in the things of this world and finding satisfaction and the things that are offered us, right? Money, promotions, houses, vacations, like even family to a degree, these things that we really focus on and we find that none of them are ultimately satisfying. They're good, right? They can be good things, but they don't satisfy the depths of our soul. And throughout scripture, what we find is a God who has made us for himself and that we cannot be satisfied apart from him. And yet, and yet, so often we try and we try and we try over and over and over again to find it in other things and we are left feeling disappointed, right? And so as we look at the book of Philippians, uh, my hope for us is that we once again are reminded to find our identity, our core source of purpose in God. And then when we do that, we are able to fill, fill that sense of satisfaction and joy in him because of what he has done for us and secured for us as he brings us into this relationship with himself, we start to understand this is what I was made for, right? This is, this is the love that I've always looked for. This is the, the eternal soul level peace that I haven't felt until now. This is what I'm after. And so my hope for us today is that we realize God has rescued us from a life of disappointment and has brought us into a relationship in which we can experience true satisfaction, right? That the secret to happiness is found in God and God alone inside this relationship with himself. So Philippians 3, we'll start at the very beginning in verse one, says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe to you. And I love the way that Paul writes this first verse as he's saying, you know, I'm, I could write the same letter of Philippians over and over and over again to you guys at the same time and just tell you the same thing over and over again. It's no problem for me, but it is safe for you. And what he means by that is that it is so easy to get sidetracked, lose your focus on what's happening here, but absolutely do not do that because this is one of the main things that we are doing as believers is rejoicing in the Lord. Now in this imperative, what you find is a command to be joyful, which is a very hard thing to just 
conjure up inside of you, right? Feelings of joy. But what he is saying here in that phrase, in the Lord, is your joy is found specifically in your relationship with God. Right, so it becomes the basis for our, our joy that we find our identity in Christ and that becomes the basis for this joy. Right? If we do not have this relationship with God, we cannot experience that level of joy. But if we do, and thank goodness, we have believed in this gospel message that has saved us from sin and disappointment and death, that we can experience this. And what Paul is saying is when you have realized what this identity means, right? That you are in Christ. That though formerly you were enslaved to sin, but now have, brought, have been brought into relationship, you've been reconciled, you've been redeemed, you're in the process of being restored, right? This gives you the foundation on which your joy comes from. And notice what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, because of the circumstances in your life, because nothing is gonna go perfectly for you, you're gonna endure suffering, you're gonna endure heartache, you're gonna endure trials and difficulties, you're gonna deal with probably mental health problems, you're gonna deal with emotional problems, you're gonna deal with physical problems, you're gonna get older, you're gonna age, you're gonna have all these things happen to you, you're gonna experience a lot of negative things. And if your joy is centered only on your circumstances, then it is easily taken away from you. So easily taken away from you. But if your joy is centered in something eternal and unshakable, something that cannot be taken away from you, cannot rot or rust, then you have placed it not on your present circumstances, but on eternal realities. In other words, you have a source of joy that can't be taken away. And when you plug into that identity, you get to experience this all the time. And so believers in Philippi, rejoice, because this is who we are. We are saved and redeemed. We cannot help but have our hearts overflow with joy because of what God has done in our life. I remember when I was uh, a little bit younger, about 10 years ago, a little less than that, I was a youth pastor up in the Dallas area, uh, which was an adventure in itself. And, and every summer we would take about 30, 20, 30 kids on a mission trip. And a few times we went to the Dominican Republic, which is in, in the Caribbean, if you don't know geography. It's in, uh, kind of an island down there with Haiti. And uh, we'd go down there and we'd go to some more like remote areas, not exactly the city, but kind of like villages down in the Dominican Republic. And for the most part, we would come alongside missions organizations that were already there and we would hang out and put on a camp for kids, uh, elementary school kids. And it was, it was awesome, like having our high schoolers go and be a part of this, and we got like, you know, anyone from 14 to 18 years old joining in, and they're having fun, and they're playing with the kids, and there is a little bit of a language barrier, but they're like, they know like a few Spanish phrases, like, donde esta el baño, that's about it, and they're like, that's, that's like, how do you get to the bathroom? So like, they knew how to do that, and that was good. That's what they learned from Spanish class in Texas public schools, and that was enough for us for the most part. Uh, but at the end of the day, we'd have this moment where we'd come together and we would kind of talk about, well, what did you see? What did you experience? What did you feel? What, you know, what, how do we processing all this? And time and time again, they would be like, it's so interesting. The believers here, the children here, they have f f 
a fraction of what we have in Dallas. Like we have everything our hearts could possibly dream of. We have you know, wealth, positions, we got opportunities. We can go anywhere to college really we want to. We got access to education they can only dream of. And yet, and yet they have this crazy amount of joy that they're experiencing. And it would kind of cause for them, uh, I won't call it a midlife crisis, but some, like, kind of, some kind of crisis in the heart of a 14-year-old uh, where they would essentially be like, I don't get it. Like, I have all these things, but I'm not happy like they are. In fact, a lot of our freshman girls that trip, they, they were talking about, man, I struggle with anxiety like all the time. I'm struggling with, with depression all the time. I cannot get a hold on my mental, emotional health. And yet these people who have far less than we do have a joy that we do not have. Why? And it was clear that it was because they had not placed their hope and their foundation for joy in material things or anything of this world, but they had found it in the Lord and they had found it in the community they had with each other, being believers, and that gave them a joy that could not be taken away. And it was funny, one night they, uh, they taught us, they took a bunch of private school Dallas kids and they had a salsa night where they taught us how to dance and it was hilarious to see just how immobile we all were and unable to flex hips in any direction. Uh, and it, but it was just one evidence of this is, this is what a joy-filled life looks like. They're able to dance, they're having fun, they're smiling, they're in this deep community, and yet we, <laughs> we have access to all these things that you know, we're told can satisfy us, and yet often disappointed in the end when we realize the things we strive for our whole life cannot give us the depth of satisfaction that we're looking for and that we're made for. In Philippians 3.2, Paul keeps on going and with this command to rejoice in the Lord, he also gives them a warning as he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, that word dog, don't take it literally if you're uh, it's, it's just uh, it's a reference to some, some not fun people. It's not like look out for the German shepherds. Um, German shepherds are fine. Instead, this is, a, this is a group of people who were probably believers, but they had one key thing wrong, and that is that they were trying to add on top of the gospel all of the laws and rules of the Old Testament pharisaical system, right? So all of this, so they would essentially say, yeah, believe in Jesus, awesome, forgiveness of sins, great, but also you gotta follow all of these rules through the T or you're not a believer. And what they were doing is they were taking a, a gospel that was uh, perfect and this, essentially this message of love from God uh, of a savior who is sent to redeem us, not because of what we have done or could do, but because of what he's done. And it sought to add our own works to that gospel to say, yeah, Jesus did all this and that was great, but look at what I did. Yeah, we together secured for me this righteousness. And what I realized is that our main jaw from this is that we have a human tendency to prove our own worth, right? Since you were children, right, you were, you were aiming for those, those medals at UIL, that trophy in Little League Baseball, right? And we are taught from a young age, go after the trophies, go after the degrees, go after the job dials, go after the salary, the package, the promotion, the lake house, even the perfect family. These are the things we've trained our minds to think about because we have a human tendency to prove our own worth, to say, look at all the things I have done, look how valuable I am. 
Look how important I am. And what Paul is about to go off on is saying, this is not how we feel joy, by working and striving and pointing to ourself, but instead we are called into a relationship with God who has done everything for us, and now though we don't work for our own salvation, we are free to live that out in a relationship with God through the Spirit. So we'll continue with what Paul's talking about. Verse three. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone th else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Bold assertion, right? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Here it is, though. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, but that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead, from the dead. And what Paul is saying here throughout this section, as he's looking at those dogs, those evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh, he's like, these people are trying to place their confidence in what they're doing. They're trying to prove their own worth through the things that they're doing. But I, I've lived that life already, right? I, I did all of those things, and I did them perfectly. That my whole life up until now was a opportunity for me to prove my own righteousness. And I did it so well. It reminds me of when I was, uh, when I was in college, I studied accounting uh, through program at A&M, TPA, and after five years, you, you, know, you go into the accounting field, and I remember the summer, or yeah, spring of senior year, uh, that I went in for some interviews with some of these accounting firms trying to get an internship, and it was really funny to me because they're like, you gotta build up your resume. And I remember thinking, well, what, but like, I don't have like much to put on that resume. I haven't really done anything before this. I definitely haven't done any accounting work until now. And so my resume was, made me feel so insignificant because it was like, went to A&M, was a counselor at a summer camp was a waiter at Fish Daddy's for a few weeks, right? And it just was very lacking. It was like three lines, a lot of white space on that resume. And going into talking with these accounting firms and being wanting to really feel empowered and equipped to go and, and work hard and do a good job and get a good internship, I'm looking at what I had done so far and be like, I don't have much. But here in Philippians, Paul, what he's doing is he's giving his spiritual resume of what it was like being a Pharisee and being a, a Jewish believer before he came to know Christ. And he's giving you all of these facts about himself. And his resume is very long and very complete. In fact, it's pretty much perfect in what he's saying. Like, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. Uh, at the very end, he says, as to righteousness of the law, I was blameless. I was perfect. I had done all these things as perfect as you could have done them. 
And what he's saying is, if anyone has reason to feel valuable because of what they've done spiritually, I'm number one. But none of that matters because it pales in comparison to what I found in Christ Jesus because of the surpassing worth of knowing him as my Lord, that I have exchanged my flimsy, self-made righteousness in exchange for a perfect righteousness given to me by a perfect son who was sent by a perfect and loving father to be our perfect redemption. Right? That is the salvation that we are given. And what is found in Jesus, the righteousness that we are given through his death and resurrection that secures for us a right relationship with God, this is able to do far more than we're able to do for ourselves. And in this, Paul is essentially showing us, hey, in life, you have two real choices. You have two paths you can go down. Path number one You can try your hardest, you can strive after perfection, you can strive to do good works, you can strive to complete your own rightness before God, proving yourself by what you do and who you are and what you say and all the things you do, or you can simply have faith in Christ Jesus and that by his perfect life, by his sacrifice, you are given a righteousness that is full and complete and effective for eternal life in God. He's like, which one would you choose? Would you choose the one that you do all the work and get no credit, or would you do the one where all you do is believe and you get full credit forever, eternally, and you enter into a relationship which gives you eternal satisfaction and purpose? So I know which one I'm picking. I'm going down road number two. And so as we engage with this, one of the things we see and one of the evidences of the completeness of his joy is right there at the end of what we read. He says, I'm even willing to suffer in order to know Christ Jesus better. I'm willing to engage with difficulty and trial and tribulation because I know that this joy within me cannot be conquered. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be removed. And so I'm willing to go through hard things in order to pursue Christ more. Uh, My wife and I, we had for a long time uh, struggled with infertility. We tried for, for many years to have children and it just didn't work for many different reasons and for the most part doctors can't really tell you why exactly and so you assume you know there's probably physical inability or hormonal I don't really know but a few months ago we found out good news that after a few years of trying that we finally got pregnant with our first baby boy who's due in July amen yeah Uh, she's right there he's also right there um and what's funny is when you are becoming a new parent, people will always come up to you and be like, are you ready to lose a ton of sleep? Are you ready to watch the same Disney movie 15,000 times every single day for the rest of your life? And they're like, eyes are turning red and you see bags and you're like, uh, and you realize, you know, being a parent is challenging for sure. And it's, oh man, like you can't be ready for it. It's pretty much all I've learned and we're not ready for it. But you're we're trying. Uh, we're losing lots of sleep, so we're getting ready on that point. Um, but in this, every time someone's like, yeah, it's really challenging. It can be very difficult. I'm like, yes, but nothing can outweigh the joy that we feel already of being able to get pregnant and be able to have a child. Like we, we, will, we will suffer through anything 
to be able to experience that, the joy of parenthood. Like we're, we're willing to walk through whatever amount of sleepless nights, whatever amount of dirty diapers, whatever Disney's putting out there these days. You know, we're willing to engage with the trials of those things because we know the joy far outweighs all of those things. And so as Paul is essentially saying the same thing, that my joy and found in God is, is so far outweighs my own striving to complete myself that I'm willing to engage with whatever amount of suffering is out there because I know the joy set before me. And so the challenge, the question we gotta ask ourselves is, is this really how we view our relationship with the Lord? Is it, is it primarily our, sor- our primary source of our joy? Like when we think of the things that truly make us happy, when we think of the things that really fill us up, is, is God, is our relationship with Jesus the thing that we go to the most and say, this is what it's all about. This is what my life is centered on. This is where I derive all sense of being and purpose and satisfaction. This is where I'm finding it. Right? Is this really how we view ourselves? Or, or are we trying to find it in other things? Now, as a college pastor, I have conversations with a lot of college students. And what I see in this, and it's amazing being here at A&M and getting to uh, serve alongside students who totally are completely on fire for the Lord. And it's awesome to to find people willing to serve in ministries and, and pour into other people and college students, discipling other college students and going on campus and evangelizing and sharing the gospel. And it's so awesome to see it. But within this, what I also see kind of beneath the veneer of this spirituality, which is totally real and substantial, is there's always this little piece. I noticed that there's always this little piece of wanting to find value in where we are involved with, with the organizations we're involved with, with the, with the grades that we're, we're getting, with the internships that we're getting, with the career opportunities that we're creating for ourselves. Essentially, we, we are, become prideful in how we use and fill our time. And I've noticed time and time again that Aggies, but not just Aggies, all people, all adults, because this doesn't stay in college, this goes outside of it, that throughout our life, we are trying, once again, to show ourselves to be valuable by the, how we spend and use our time, by the way we spend and use our money, by the way we spend and use all of our efforts to build for ourselves right, a, a life that might be meaningful or important. And what I've noticed is that as adults, it's more nuanced, but I feel like we, one of the things we have done, and, and, and maybe you feel this deeply in, in your life as well, is we just became better about painting Jesus' name over pretty much everything we've done for ourselves in order to feel like we are one with God, right? That we can feel that joy with him. And what I've noticed is, is when we, once again, strive by completing and doing these things that make us feel important, then at the end of the day, often we can feel disappointed or we feel like there's something more left. And when we place our hope in things that are not God, we can often leave that disappointed. And what I've noticed is as adults and as students, like it's so easy to get sidetracked. It's so easy to lose focus because we are constantly bombarded by media and conversations from our workplace, from school, from everywhere that life is about this and you gotta rush to do that and you need to fill your time in this way and you need to complete this and you need to go travel here and you need to experience that and you need to eat this and you need to drink that and it can be very disorienting. But I found this quote by an author named C.S. Lewis, and 
uh, English area writer, uh, lived a while back, but just a brilliant writer. And what he says, and I love the way he says it, he says this, he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what he means by that is he's saying, when it comes to God, God is not finding your desires for life to be too strong. He's finding them to be too weak, right? Because you are centering yourself on pursuing things that cannot satisfy you when the infinite joy of God that you were designed and made for is presented before you, you struggle with that choice, right? It can be struggling. And what, and what he says is we are far too easily pleased with our mud pies. I love the way he says that. When the offer of this holiday at the sea, when this offer of relationship with God is before us. And so what he's saying is when we keep our identity and purpose centered on God, and we focus on deriving our sense of purpose from him that fills us with a satisfaction that leads to joy. Philippians 3.12 says this, not that I have already obtained this, well, that's encouraging, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And in this, Paul is saying, hey, I didn't earn my salvation. Jesus did that all for me, but I'm still gonna press on. I'm still gonna strain forward. Why? Not because I'm trying to earn my salvation, but now I've been invited into this relationship and God has given me a way to participate in his mission. And now I'm pressing on. I'm straining forward in order to experience more of that joy that God has to offer. I'm using my time and effort to experience more of him because I know he is what fills me up. And so what he's saying is I'm not perfect and there's still more and greater spiritual heights to climb. There's more joy to be found. There's more grace to be experienced. There's more to build upon. So why settle for less? Why be complacent? Uh, another book that C.S. Lewis wrote, a series of books really called The Chronicles of Narnia, pretty good series, written for children, but loved by adults too. Uh, there is, uh, at the, there's like a series of, of several of these books, and at the very last one, it's called The Last Battle. And what we find at the very end of the story, if you've never made it that far, is all these characters have kind of undergone a lot of you know, conflict and battles and these, these testing temptation type moments and situations and as we come to the very end and they've been found faithful and they've completed their journey in life, you find that they enter into this kind of heaven-like country. And, and in this moment, one of the characters, whose name is Reepicheep, the, the mouse with the sword, uh, he says this, which I think is so beautifully worded about his joy found in Christ. What he says is, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for 
all my life, though I never knew it until now, come further up, come further in. And what we see in this is as he's experiencing this after trial and trial and trial, and this is supposed to be like afterlife, but what he's experiencing is this invitation to come further up, come further into this experience of the joy that we experience in God. And as we consider our own lives, we consider what makes us happy, what fills us with joy, that is the challenge that I wanna leave you guys with today, is that challenge of come further up, come further into this relationship of this experience of eternal joy and satisfaction in God. Do not let your lives get complacent and do not be distracted by the things that this world has to offer because what lies in front of us is far greater. In fact, Paul says that he, once again, is forgetting, one thing he does is he forget, he's forgetting what lies behind, right? this life of striving for his own righteousness, and he pushes forward to what lies ahead, the goal, the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. And in this image, what we see is he's referencing these Greek games, right, the Olympics, where they would run, they would fight, they would throw stuff, and the winner, once they had won the race, would be called up to the podium with the judge and receive their crown for winning, right, their medal for winning. And in this imagery, what Paul's giving us is that's what I am aimed for, that when I stand present before my Lord and Savior, that I'm gonna experience the glory that he puts upon me. That is what I press on for. That's what I'm straining for. Not for these things of this world which cannot satisfy, but for the eternal glory that God has in heaven for me, that I can faithfully serve in his mission to redeem this world, and through that, experience the joy that he has designed me for. And so as the band comes up to lead us in one more song, what I want to challenge you guys with is how are you placing your confidence in Christ? How are you experiencing that joy that God has specifically designed you for? And I know a lot of people, you're like, you know, I'm going through life and I'm trying to read the Bible and I'm not really feeling much emotion toward it or I'm trying to serve in church and I'm not really feeling much emotion toward it. But one of the most encouraging things about walking with the Lord is that he's given us this church. He's given us other people to come alongside us, encourage and support, and be a large part of that joy that we get to experience. And so if you're wondering, man, how do I experience this joy? How do I live this kind of life? My number one encouragement is that you find it in this community here. That when we walk with other believers, they're able to point us to true life and away from bad decisions. But in the midst of community, we are also able to serve. And throughout what we read in the New Testament, service to God and for God, for the glory of God and the mission of God, as the people of God proclaiming the message of God, that is where we find that joy. And we do that together. So if you are not involved here, you're not serving, our main encouragement is if you want to understand what that joy looks like, get involved here and we'll show you. For now, let's pray and let's worship our wonderful Father who loves us. Father, we're so thankful that you have saved us from a life of worthlessness, of striving after things that cannot satisfy of broken cisterns and vessels that we try to fill with experiences and money and status, things that honestly don't give us much at the end of the day. 
but we are thankful you've called us out of a life, once again, that's worthless, and you've called us into a life that's meaningful, in which we find satisfaction and joy, and we find it complete, and we find it lasts eternally. So would you turn our minds and continue to transform our minds in the spirit to focus on the things that matter, on the things you've designed us for, on the things in which our soul craves, which is your presence and your love and your grace. We praise you that you extend those to us freely, that your mercies are new every morning, and that we get to walk alongside other faithful people you've given us to enjoy as well. God, we're thankful for our community. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for this morning. Would you please encourage us and strengthen us as we continue in life. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.